I'll do this. She's got enough on her plate. You're doing good. Am I on? Hello, can you hear me now? All right. Well, I want to welcome you to First Baptist Godly this morning. I'm Pastor Dave Collette. Uh, if you're watching online, we want to welcome you also here today as we worship the Lord and as we open up the Word of God to see what He'll say to us. And, and uh, so I want to begin this morning uh, sharing from a word of Scripture. It's uh, the words of Jesus uh, near the end or close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount as he talks about worry and the fact that we shouldn't do it. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry. Say, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you do take care of us and that you do meet all of our needs. You are our provider. You are our sustainer, our redeemer, and truly a friend. A friend that we can bring all of our issues to. Now, Lord, we come into this place today uh, to worship you, uh, to spend time in confession. Uh, as you point out things in our lives that, that need to be confessed and to repent of those things. And to begin once anew and afresh with you uh, to do your will. And Father, might we not be guilty of worrying about things, but to have faith. To have faith that, Lord, not only are you in control of all things, but you desire for us to come into your presence. And you desire to lead us and to guide us uh, to be those that you've called us to be. Father, we lift up our church to you, our church families, those that are not here, those that are sick. We pray special blessings of recovery on them. Father, we lift these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Stand in with us as we sing Blessed Assurance.
it's time to say hello to your brothers and sisters this morning. Good morning, everyone. If y'all go ahead and begin making your way back to your seat, please. I just have a couple of quick announcements for y'all this morning, and then I have something really, really special to show y'all. So first off this morning, if I have not had the privilege to meet you, my name is Tori Connell. I have the immense honor of being the student minister here. Um, and as you can see, there's a bunch of younger people in the row up here who are all sporting this amazing shirt. Um, we got the opportunity to go to D now at Cleburne Bible Church this past weekend. And so I'll have a video to show you for that in a minute. Um, but real fast, we here at FBC Godly believe that community is important. So we would love for you to get plugged in here. The best way you can do that is to open your bulletin and you'll find a list of all the different classes and all the different things we offer here. Um, we do keep that and our website updated. We would love to have you join us at any moment. Also, if you are a big jigsaw puzzle person, we have some jigsaw puzzles in our library that need to get rehomed. So we would love for you to claim one of those today. Um, but without further ado, uh, if we can roll the video, I feel like pictures are worth more than my words at this point. So enjoy this snapshot of our weekend. Oh, who? 
or youth camp or anything, I don't think, except one thing. And that's going to Guatemala to worship and to... <laughs> what a segue. So on March the 24th, on Palm Sunday, right after church, we will have an interest meeting for those of you that would like to go with us to Guatemala this summer, uh, July the 3rd, uh, to worship and to help those orphans down there at Eagle's Nest. The 5th. I said it wrong. I'm so sorry. I was trying to read it long range over here. Uh, we're going to go this summer, July the 5th. And uh, if those of you that saw our pictures when we came back and heard our hearts, it's just amazing to be there and, and to help those children. Got, a, got word this week that a couple of their girls that uh, have aged out, they put them in an apartment on um, campus when they age out so that they have two years to actually set up their life, go to college and all that kind of stuff. So they really take care of these kids, but we're able to go down and do something with them. So would you please stand and listen, great is thy faithfulness. that you are faithful in all things. And Father, that we can rely on that promise again. In thy precious name I pray. Amen.
awesome. It's good to have my older sister Cindy here today. She remembers the first time we sang that song together in youth group. It was uh, Celebrate Life, I think, was the musical. And I'll never forget that. Uh, you know how funny things kind of stick in your mind? There was this one girl that was singing in the, in the uh, choir with us, and when she got to that part where it says, eat this bread, she said, eat the sick, and we all had a big laugh about that. <laughs> but you just don't forget those kinds of things. But I tell you the story uh, that song tells, or what it's, the words of it are the most meaningful part. Well, as we begin this morning, I want to share with you a little story. Some of you may have heard it before. It's called the parable of death. It goes like this. Death was walking toward a man who stopped him and asked, what are you going to do? Death said, I'm going to kill 10,000 people today. What? That's horrible. That's the way it is. That's what I do. Well, as the day passed, the man ran from place to place. He told everybody what was going to happen. He, he, he says, don't let this happen to you. Be careful. Watch out for him. When the end of the day came, death came back around. He said, hey, I thought you said you were going to kill 10,000 people, but you killed over 100,000 people. He said, no. Death said, not only killed 10,000, worry killed the rest of them worry many folks don't realize that excessive worry can have major consequences on their lives charles mayo of the mayo clinic in rochester says worry affects the circulation the heart the glands the whole nervous system and profoundly affects the health the things that we worry about can do us great harm Right now, of course, we live in a divided country. And when you live in a divided country, you hear all kinds of information, conflicting information, and it tends to cause a lot of anxiety and worry. Not only that, inflation's at an all-time high. It just takes us back many years to the 70s when we were waiting in gas lines. And we thought paying 78 cents for a gallon of gas was outrageous. How dare they charge us 78 cents for gas? But you know, uh, history does tend to repeat itself, doesn't it? And sometimes we forget that there is a tomorrow. Paul lived in a similar kind of culture. And of course, when he wrote uh, this letter to the Philippians, he was actually in jail. Now, that's something to be anxious about, or a person certainly could be. But we don't find that in Paul. You know, in the last time I checked, nobody in our church has been beaten nearly to death. Uh, nobody's been scourged with 39 lashes or shipwrecked or, or left for dead or run out of town just for sharing Jesus. But that was the life that Paul led as he followed Jesus Christ. And he's in prison. And that begs the question, how could someone like Paul, who'd been through everything that he had been through and all the suffering and the hardship that he'd been through and now was writing his letter from prison, how could he have such peace? How could he have such steadfast peace? And it also brings another question, how can you have peace in your situation? Because, you know, they, as they say, if you're not in a situation, you will be. But we remember also that Jesus says each day has enough trouble of its own. So we know there are going to be times of testing. But I believe in our text today we're going to find the answer to peace. For Paul taught that peace is available through regular conversations with Jesus. It reminds me of that old hymn, really a gospel song. Oh, let us have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our troubles. Remember that song? There's a way to have peace, and it's through conversation with him. 
But for the sake of context, we want to remember the first five verses of chapter 4 in the book of Philippians. Paul is addressing a situation in the church at Philippi that threatens the unity of the church, the harmony of the church. Because there happens to be two ladies in the church that are having a problem. And they can't get along. And he speaks to one he calls the true companion. And he says, hey, help, help them out if you do whatever's necessary uh, to work out this problem. And just in closing, in verse 5, he says, For the Lord is near. The Lord is near. The presence of the Lord is at hand. Jesus is with you. Now, that's important to remember in every circumstance, isn't it? But even more so when you find yourself anxious or you find yourself worrying about something. So following his call to remember the Lord is near, he says in verse 6, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So as we, that is a verse that's just, or verses that are packed full of good stuff. As we think about those words in this verse that Paul has just said, what are some ways that we can overcome a tendency to worry about a great many things? Well, first, you should refuse to worry over circumstances that are beyond your control. Think about that for a minute. And think about how much time that you give to worry about things that are beyond your control. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. I believe one of the reasons why we have a tendency to worry over things that we don't have any control over is because mass media streams it into us nonstop. Think about it. You get up, you have your coffee, you turn on that TV to your favorite channel, whichever one that is, okay? And then you hear the events that are happening. And in 20 minutes, 25, 30 minutes, you can be anxious pretty quick because you're going to hear something that's, that's frightening. And sometimes you wonder, why do they just tell us the frightening stuff? Why do they just tell us things that give us anxiety? Why don't they ever tell any good stories? Anything good or positive, it makes you wonder. I guess it's because that doesn't sell. Certain words strike severe fear into the heart. Well, we're in a full-blown recession now. I hope we don't have a depression. Or maybe the word cancer comes into your life. Or layoff. There's so many things that can cause us anxiety. And many times we find ourselves worrying about these things rather than taking them to God. And you know, the truth of the matter is, when a Christian chooses to worry all the time about nearly everything, it reveals a real lack of faith in God. And you can slice that or dice that however you want to, but at the end of the day, it's sinful. It really is sinful because it shows that we have a lack of faith in his ability to take care of us. And with that text we read earlier where, where the Lord is saying, don't worry about all this stuff. The Lord knows you need all these things. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be taken care of. For each day has enough trouble of its own. There are times when I hear Christians getting all heated up about their political views. And it makes me wonder, do Christians not realize that God allows certain things to happen for a reason? You know, uh, as I think back even over the past 30 some odd years about all the presidents that we've had in the United States, I wouldn't say that there was any of them that I thought were completely top-notch. I don't know what you think. You may have some that you put on a pillar, a pedestal. But I found major flaws in, in all of them. But you know what? I don't allow that, and I don't allow politics 
to steal my joy and my peace or to distract me from what my mission given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ is. If you want to get rankled about something and be legitimate in it, if you want to get upset and hot under the collar about it and be okay and have righteous indignation that's justifiable, then get upset because people don't make much of Jesus Christ and give him the respect that he deserves. He's the one who ought to be heralded and declared as uh, the righteous one, uh, the anointed one. But we don't. We, we get upset over every other kind of thing except for the things we ought to get upset about. Nothing uh, in him uh, should be d diminished at all. And our testimony ought to be to lift him up. Now, Paul's not saying that you shouldn't ever be concerned about your problems or the problems of other people. As a matter of fact, we ought to be concerned about them. But rather that we ought to be in the habit of unloading our concerns on the one who has the power to do something about it. That is the Lord. He's saying, give it to the one who really is in control. But remember, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And rather than worry over things, what we ought to do is request God's help through prayer. Stop and think with me for just a moment. What have you been worried most about this past week? You might be worried about something right now. You might be worried about some big thing, and you may be worrying for a long time about it. Think about it. And think about how much time you've spent taking it to God in prayer. How much have you talked with him about it? If not, begin today. Before we leave this place, lay it at his feet. Give it to him. And leave it there. You know, some people would say, well, preacher, I've already given my problem to him. Well, if that's the case, then have the, the faith that he really is dealing with it. You know, what we have a tendency to do is, even if we do tell him, it's usually a pretty short little thing at the end of some prayer of a long list of things that we asked him for. And then we just pick it up and carry it away with us. We don't really leave it with him. What we need to do is spend enough time with him that we actually do leave it with him. And have the faith that he's going to deal with it. Now, he may not deal with it in the way that you want him to. And he may not be on your timetable. You know what my timetable is? Can you do it now? Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, the timetable's rather stretched out, okay? And sometimes it's even the answer that I am not too crazy about. And I would imagine after... Uh, David was anointed king by Samuel. He probably thought, well, when are we having the coronation? I, I doubt that he thought it would be 13 years later after running from a madman named Saul. I'm sure he would have liked for the timetable to be shortened just a little bit. Or maybe the apostle Paul, after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Maybe he had visions of being a great apostle and would begin, uh, he was just uh, preaching. It would just be thousands of people saved, Gentiles saved all over the place. He probably didn't think it was going to be another 13 years of learning and growing and thinking about his theology afresh before he would get out there and really get going. God's timetable is often not like ours, and there's a reason for it. What he wants us to do is grow through the process. Grow through the process. And he's going to allow some things to come into your life that are for that purpose. Another important thing to do when you bring your request to the Lord is to be thankful. And I think we ought to thank him preemptively for what he's going to do, for how he's going to deal with our issues why should we do that? Because God has your best interest at heart. And I think the truth of the matter is, often in our culture, we're unthankful. As a matter of fact, people feel like they're, they're owed certain things in our culture, especially in America today. 
I have my rights, and, and dare not anyone impede on those, okay? And so oftentimes we take things for granted, and we, but we're not thankful. And we bring our request to him. We ought to thank him for hearing us out and for answering us, knowing that he's going to work it out according to his will. In his book, An Unstoppable Force, Erwin McManus shares a story about how his prayers resulted in what could only be called a miraculous recreation. McManus had started a little church in Dallas, and it began to grow. And he would go out and he would reach out to down and outers, just anybody and everybody, and share Jesus with them. And the church began to grow. Well, they needed a place, a bigger place to worship. And so they began to look around in Dallas, and, and lo and behold, uh, in downtown Dallas, there was an acre of land for sale. And they looked at it, and they looked at the price, and they said, well, even though many of our people are on welfare, we really feel like that God wants us to, to buy this property. And so they went through all the permits and everything, and they got the permits, and they bought the property. And when it came time to build, uh, uh, the builders came, and they took some core samples. And you know what they found? For 25 feet deep, they found trash. And what they didn't know when they bought it is that land had been declared unbuildable because it was over an old landfill. And he says, I just was overwhelmed by leading the church into a decision, a bad mistake. And so we gathered together and, and we prayed. And we just decided, Lord, we don't know what to do. We've made this bad mistake. And we pray, Lord, that you will solve our problem whatever way you want to. Well, time went by. And after about three months of praying, one of the ladies in the congregation came up to Erwin and said, you know, we've been praying about this for God to do something uh, to rectify our problem for three months. And I feel like he's saying to me that, that he's taking care of it. And he says, you know, the more I prayed about it, the more I believed that he had taken care of it. So we called back the builders again and had them come out and take some more core samples. And guess what? They were dirt. The kind you can build on. This is what he says. How did it happen? Was it because the core sample was in a different part of the land? Or could it be that God had actually performed a miracle? and change the landfill to good land. What I do know is that the same realtor who sold the property to me came back and offered me three times the amount he sold it to me for once he heard there was clearance to build on the land. What I do know is that the previous owners could not build on the property, but we could. What I do know is that we were told the property was worthless and unusable. What I cannot tell you is what happened beneath the ground at 2815 South Irvay Street. All I can tell you is what I know, and that is that God took my failure and performed a miracle. And today, Cornerstone worships on that acre of land in a sanctuary built by our own hands. Friends, if God can create everything that is from nothing, then he can do anything. If he can transform a little trash. If he can speak the world into existence, he can transform trash, right? If he can make a man out of dirt, then he can do anything. If he can make a woman out of a rib bone, then he can do whatever he wants to do. If God can do anything, if he can speak and a person is healed, then he can do anything. Now, I want to ask you a question based upon all these facts. Is this the God that you worship? Do you worship the one true creator God who can do anything? Or do you worship a lesser God whose arm is too short to save? You see, sometimes I think what happens is we create a, 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 an image of God in our own little minds and hearts that is so far away from the actual God, no wonder none of your prayers are answered if you don't pray to the one true God and you don't have a relationship with him, and you're not in the habit of talking with him on a regular basis. Are 
you living from day to day in total dependence on the one true God. You know, Irwin admitted that they bought that unbuildable land and it was a mistake. But they brought it to God in prayer. And God took their mistake and their worries and gave them peace. And I believe that's what God wants to do in your life as well. Is to bring that thing that you've got on your heart and your mind to him and let him deal with it. All he asks is that you bring your worry and your problem to him in faith and really believe that he's going to take care of it. Well, the last way to have that peace continually is to receive it continually. Receive his peace. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. You know, when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they really, they repent of their sins and they put their faith in him and they're going on with Jesus, they lose something. Do you know when you come to Jesus, you lose something? You know what you lose? Your sins. We sang about that a while ago. He washes them away. They're whiter than snow. Though they were like crimson, they shall be whiter than snow. You lose your sins. Jesus' sacrifice at Calvary cancels the debt once and for all. And when he takes away your sin, he gives you something in return. And that is his righteousness, the Bible says. Paul says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so basically what that means is all of my sin and all of your sin and sins of the world were put on Jesus where he died for them once and for all. So that if any person would put their faith in him, they would be saved. Their sins would be wiped away and they would receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. And when you come to Jesus in humility, admitting your sin, turning away from your sin, you're saved forever. And I don't know about you, but that brings me incredible peace. A peace that is beyond comprehension to know that all of my mess-ups are forgiven and that Jesus is giving me his righteousness and when he sees me, he sees his righteousness. And the same is true for every person who really is his. And friend, I don't know about you, but that gives me peace. Does that give you peace? Yes. Amen. It, it, does it give you enough peace to get excited about it? Yes. Does it give you enough peace to tell somebody about it? Yeah, of course it does. But you know, the truth of the matter is, Jesus' words are so true. Each day still does have enough trouble of its own, doesn't it? The fact that you're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and you've received a certain peace that comes from him does not negate the fact that we still live in a sinful, troubled world. And we are going to encounter a problem from day to day. But friends, when we say talking to Jesus is the way out, we're not kidding around. The Bible uh, is just full of stories and lives that bear this out. And one that comes to my mind is a man named Daniel. You know, old Daniel was in the habit of talking to the Lord three times a day. Without fail, he would go and he would pray. Matter of fact, he got in trouble with King Darius because he prayed. You see, there were other people around him uh, that didn't like him. They didn't like him. They were jealous of him because God had blessed him. And they began to watch him and they said, what can we do that'll help us get back at old Daniel. And they begin to watch him. They begin to notice that he prayed three times a day without fail. And so they went to old King Darius and they convinced him to make a law, said, hey, you're not going to believe this, but Daniel, uh, uh, he doesn't worship the way all the rest of us do. He actually prays to someone he calls God. And we don't think that that's right, old king. 
We think that you should really be the one that people pray to. People shouldn't pray to any other God. They should look at you as sort of like God. And so they convinced him to make a decree that if anyone was found praying to any other God, that they would be severely punished. They would be thrown to the lions. That's pretty bad, isn't it? And so therefore, you know what Daniel did? He went on doing what he was doing. Same old thing, very deliberate about it, even knowing the law. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, the Bible says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. And then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. Well, what was Daniel doing? He was letting his request be made known to God, just like he always did. He was having a conversation with God. That's what prayer is. It's a conversation. It's you telling God what's on your heart and allowing him to tell you what's on his heart. And part of the way we do that is by getting his word into our heart. Spending time reading his word, learning from his word. And the Holy Spirit takes that word and he uses it to speak to us. That's what Daniel was doing. And therefore, God answered Daniel's prayer. And he gave him a great peace, even in the midst of a terrible situation. You know, there are times in every person's life when it seems like you've been thrown to the lines. Amen? And if, you, if you're not going to one right now, you might be in one later. But you're going to feel that alone. And you're going to feel that all is lost. But the undeniable truth is, is that you can have a peace that defies explanation that the world won't understand if you'll simply receive what Jesus offers. Christian author Alan Redpath wrote, There is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and Christ right through to me. And if it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment, but as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift up my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me, no trial will ever disarm me, no circumstance will cause me to fret, for I shall rest in the joy of what my Lord is doing. And friend, to that I say amen. Now that's how to deal with your worry. Recognize God is on his throne. Recognize God is doing things in this world. We, we serve a working God, right? Recognize when God says, I know I have a plan for you uh, to give you hope and purpose and success. He's not kidding around. He has a plan. And sometimes that plan might mean that you're going to go through some hardship. But know that if it's happened, he's allowed it to happen. There's nothing that happens that he's not aware of. Okay? He may allow some things to happen, but there's a reason behind them. But many people still seek peace in all the wrong places. And they strive to achieve a false sense of security by the, what the world provides reminds me of three men that were walking on a beach and they came upon this old dusty lamp and one of them reached down and picked it up and he thought you know this lamp might be worth something I'm just gonna see if I can clean it up a little so he began to rub the sides and guess what happened poof out popped a genie and the genie said to each of the men said I have one wish each for you guys so think about it, make your choice. Well, the first one popped up right away. He says, I wish I had a million dollars. Poof! A million bucks right there before him. Uh, the second quickly followed. He says, I want a beautiful mansion. Bam! Right there on the beach. Poof! A beautiful mansion. Well, now the third man was more thoughtful than that. He says, hmm, this is for real. 
I really could get something. So he thought long and hard, and finally he said, Oh, genie, I wish you'd make me irresistible to women. <laughs> Poof! Instantly, the genie turned him into a box of chocolates. <laughs> you know, sometimes we think what the world has to offer will give us all that we need, right? But it's so far from the truth. God has a better plan. We live in a culture that tells us there's something more. You've got to have this. You've got to have that. There's always more, but there's no real peace in any of those things. I was reading about some of the most rich people in the world, and one that came to mind was John D. Rockefeller, probably one of the richest men who ever lived. This is what he said. He said, I've made millions, but they brought me no happiness. Wow. Or another man, Cornelius Vanderbilt. You probably heard of the Vanderbilt Mansion in North Carolina. We had an opportunity to see that mansion. It was truly extravagant. This is what he said. He said, the care of millions is too great a load. There is no pleasure in it. And what about that great automobile maker, Henry Ford? At the end of his life, this is what he said. I was happier as a boy working in a mechanic shop, though we had nothing. Isn't that amazing? Real peace has little to do with worldly goods. And as Jesus said, it doesn't have a whole lot to do about what you wear, what you eat, and all that stuff. It has all to do with him. Real peace is found in him. Praise God, as Paul says, the Lord is near. He is near. I wonder, are you experiencing his peace today in your life? Or is your heart troubled? Some would say, my heart is troubled, and here's why. And I would ask, have you spent time talking to God about it? Have you really taken the necessary time? Or did you go tell everybody else about your problem? It doesn't mean that there isn't wisdom found in, in other uh, believers. But our first stop needs to be with him. And then we need to gather together and share our burdens together and pray for each other together, just as Paul suggests in the book of Galatians. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst, Jesus says. Others might say, my heart is troubled, and I'm really not sure why. I would suggest that maybe the reason why is because you've never really given your heart to the real God. You've never really given your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus. Because until that happens, there can be no real peace. But he can give you a forgiveness for your sins wipe them out and that's real peace and then he could give you ongoing peace as you trust him from day to day i don't know your heart and nobody else around here does either only the lord knows your heart the bible tells us we can't even know our own heart but he can so as we go to pray spend some time talking with him if you've never trusted him, I want to invite you to come into his kingdom. You bow your head for just a moment. If you want to put your trust in Jesus for the first time, just, just tell him, say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again after three days. And I want to follow you. And I want to have your peace. And if you prayed that prayer, Jesus heard it. And he has granted you salvation, forgiveness, and his righteousness. And still, there might be others here today that have trusted the real Christ Jesus, but you still have a problem. Why don't you hand that over to him? As the instrumentalist plays quietly,
Would you just give it to him? The Lord already knows everything that's, that's going on. But still he directs us to come to him and bring these things to him. As Peter said, cast your cares on the Lord for he cares for you. And then trust that he's really going to deal with it. Father, we thank you that you hear us when we pray, that you invite us into your throne room and to give our issues to you. Thank you for loving us and caring for us. And Lord, walking with us through the hard times, we pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet for a moment. What's God saying to you today? If you've trusted Jesus for the very first time, come make it public and let the church know what Jesus has done in your life. Debbie, will you play? Or Miss Allen, would you play? To Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him today and I want to say a word about our youth we're so happy that you guys got to go and have this special time and Tori I want you to know how proud we are of you I know that you've been through a rough rough week I know your granddad's proud of you and your whole family's proud of you and we're proud of you uh, for what God is doing and what God's going to do in your life I know you're tired right now and you want to go home and go to sleep so we won't keep you any longer do we have a closing song this morning? Yes, we're going to sing the chorus of Blessed Assurance. Join hands. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior.